And I believe our phone call has made it to Ryan McGee. He is a writer, podcaster, radio, TV. I just say ESPN the everything because he does it all, multimedia guy. He's got the Marty McGee podcast and TV show, and he is a co-author of Racing to the Finish, my story, Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s uh, autobiography, I guess we'll say. Ryan McGee, how you doing, sir? <coughs> Hey man, what's going on? Doing well. You, uh, we, we brought you in just as Ben Swain was coughing. I'm good. Because we're I'm good. Because we're <laughs> professional radio people like this. Uh, my first. Well, uh, and just full disclosure, I just walked into the college football playoff media day, and uh, so you know this is like a family reunion. So if while I'm talking to you, people are just walking up and randomly like the commissioner of the SEC, Greg. Thank you was trying to talk to me. I go, dude. You got to go away. Hayes is on the phone. Yeah, yeah. Right. Just tell him that. Yes, uh, but no. You can yeah. pass out fist bumps. We know you're a popular guy, uh, and we are going to talk to. We are actually. We have it on the screen here. They're showing some footage from Media Day, so we're going to try and get you to walk in front of a camera so we can have that <laughs> cool thing where we're talking to somebody that's on TV. But before we talk national championship, I want to talk about your book with Dale Earnhardt. How does one co-author a book? Well, you know, I was real. It was, it was amazing because they called. They called. It was back. I was. I was actually at Penn State uh, for the Michigan game last fall, and the phone rang, and it was Dale Jr. And uh, hey, man, I think I'm going to write a book. Uh, would you be interested? And this was leading into his last race. Uh, it was about two weeks before his final race. And you know, I've known Dale. It's funny because when I mean, you guys know this, as you get older, one day you wake up and you look around and you realize, oh. Uh, I'm one of the old guys now. Yep. You know, Dell Jr. and I started together basically. He was—I remember the first time I interviewed him. He was racing late models at, at Myrtle Beach Speedway, and uh, and so we—I've um, uh, known him my whole life. We're about the same age. We kind of grew up together, and, but we've never been friends. You know, I, I kind of always adhere to the "don't make friends with the rock stars" rule. Sure. But once these guys retire, you know, we realize we have a lot in common, and so it was—it was an amazing project, and, and his honesty was just off the chart, and, and that's the part that I keep telling people is even if you don't care a thing about auto racing, it doesn't matter because his honesty about his head injuries and how he suffered and how he's trying to help people who are currently suffering, um, that's – I'm, I'm still blown away at how honest he was with me about all that. Ryan, um, quick question on NASCAR. Let's um, stay on this topic. So I know that somebody – own, there's a new owners of Rockingham Speedway now. I think it's a Raleigh-based group, yeah. and there, there's been talk and articles about could racing come back. And we we all know we've seen the ratings problems with NASCAR, and, and a lot of it stems from it's it's lo- it's left its roots in North Carolina. I mean, what are you hearing on the on those terms as far as like maybe NASCAR coming back to some of these these older older tracks? Is that is that something that actually could happen? Well, I think they're they're absolutely without any question, going to start going back to more short tracks. Um, you know, I always compare what happened in NASCAR in the late 90s and 2000s to what happened in Major League Baseball in the 60s, which is, you know, in the 60s, everybody decided it would be a great idea to build the exact same stadium everywhere. You know, Bush Stadium, Three Rivers, Riverfront, you know, uh, Jack Murphy in San Diego, it's the same stadium. And, and they built them because they were multipurpose, you played football and baseball there. And they were terrible. Atlanta, Fulton County is one of those. They all look exactly the same. It happened in NASCAR. In the 90s and early 2000s, everybody copied the Charlotte Motor Speedway. They even went to the Atlanta Motor Speedway and tore it down and rebuilt it to look like the Charlotte Motor Speedway. And the reason they did it was because NASCAR, IndyCar, whoever could all run there. And it was a mistake because they basically built the same racetrack everywhere. And so 
that was kind of the beginning of the problems. And then when they left Rockingham, obviously they left Wilkesboro. And listen, I, I'm from Rockingham. I was born there. I just spent Christmas there. Um, that place is not ever going to host a cup race again. But uh, hopefully this new ownership group will figure out a way to bring in, you know, the truck series again or the Xfinity series. But NASCAR is going to work very hard to get back to its roots over the next few years. And uh, we'll see. They need to. And uh, it, it is a huge, huge multifaceted problem that they have. And uh, a big part of that would be going back to uh, the roots, which, uh, as, you, as you noted, they, uh, they abandoned, maybe not to the extent that everybody says that they did, but it certainly was enough to make everybody mad. All right. We're going to touch on another area of expertise. We're going to shift from NASCAR over to uh, college football because we know you're on the scene there. All right, last year, if we had asked you before the game to predict how the game would have gone, you would have been a prophet if you said, I think, that Alabama is going to switch to a freshman uh, uh, quarterback in the second half and he's going to throw a touchdown in overtime. So we'll ask you to be a prophet, and you can be as crazy as you want with a prediction. What what do you think the story will be at the end of Monday night? Well, I think it's going to be that we went into the game talking about the two best defensive lines in college football but we will leave the game talking about a 48 to 45 finish. Hmm. Um, you know, the, the Alabama wide receivers are just too good. Uh, Tua is just too good. Uh, Trevor Lawrence obviously is so good. And I was at that Clemson South Carolina game and uh, that Clemson secondary is terrible. And, and the Alabama receivers, <clears throat> it's the best group of receivers they've ever had in the history of the program, arguably the best in the country. And so, you know, what we saw with Notre Dame was that Ian Book, the quarterback's really good. And those receivers, they got four receivers that will play in the NFL. But Ian Book spent the entire game running for his life. And that's why Notre Dame couldn't score. Um, I think that they will not be able to knock down Ian Book or knock down Tua like they did Ian Book, obviously. But I don't know, it's just going to be a – but to me, what we, we're going into the game talking about defense. I mean, I'm, I'm, at, I'm at media day right now, and the biggest crowd – uh, around the defensive lineman right now as far as player interviews other than Tua. Right. But I think that when the game is over with, all these SEC fans and ACC fans who love to make fun of the Big 12, uh, we're probably going to end with a Big 12-type score when the game's over with. Hey, I happen to know this because I know you. Your father was a long-time, uh, big-time college football official. He's in the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame for not only his work there but also in academics. But uh, it makes me wonder, You know, every now and then, I've tried to be very fair. I, I feel like I'm pretty good about treating referees as humans, but oftentimes, you know, I will say I think a call was missed, or may even tend make a joke about an official. And sometimes your dad will reply on Twitter, and it's almost just like, a, "Hey, I saw that," you know, just to, uh, yeah. you know, stick it up for the officials. I wonder, did you ever have a situation, either as a kid, where somebody was talking about officials, or maybe specifically your dad, and a, and a, and a controversial call, or you know, has it shaped sort of how you? deal with sometimes you do have to be critical of, of a call that was made or missed or, or a situation that was done wrong but tempering that with growing up in the, in the household of a, of a college football official well i think what what the what officials have figured out with me is is that i'm probably going to defend them i know i'm going to defend them more than any other writers right but when i criticize them then they know something went bad Right, because I don't just randomly, just routinely, just rip them on every single call, every single, you know, long, uh, you know, replay review, all that stuff. If, if but if I rip them, 
then something went wrong. And I feel like I'm as fair to those guys, more fair to those guys than anybody else. But, yeah, but you saw my – so growing up as a kid, so I, I'm trying to get Dad to write a book with me about this. But growing up as a kid, you know, you get tickets to a game, and he was in the ACC most of his career. And let's say we're at North Carolina, and it's, you know, North Carolina, Virginia. And the tickets for the officials' families were always terrible. And my brother and I would sit. We're sitting with, you know, kind of the roughest crowd in the roughest section of the stadium. And it'd always be, no matter where the game was, there'd always be one guy who had decided that his job that day was going to be to yell at the refs. <laughs> you refs suck and, you know, all that stuff. Yep. And my brother and I would always identify the guy, usually sitting right by us in the chief seat. And we would let him run for about a quarter and a half. And just, it was like you're fishing. Right. And we would let him just hammer on the officials and hammer on the officials. And then finally, I was 12 years old, my brother's nine. We'd stand up and I'd yell, hey, quit yelling at our dad. And my brother would act like he was crying. <laughs> and from then on, everybody in the stadium, every time the guy would start to yell, he'd look over at us and we'd just shake our head and they'd sit down. We did with, my brother and I pulled that routine for probably six, seven years, as long as we were kids. But yeah, it's an interesting way to learn college football. But yeah. The officials have learned, I'm probably not going to rip them, but if I'm ripping them, then they really screwed up. Uh, that's a great story about uh, you know coping me- mechanism or getting your dad's back. It's better better than I thought you were going to say. My, you know, my brother and I went there and tried to fight these guys, but uh, yeah, right. no, no, we weren't. It happened when we were older. Gotcha. Yes. Last question because I know we got to let you do your job at, at Alabama Media Day. Uh, the Marty McGee Radio Show. We love. We actually. Uh, I forget where it runs now, but we would hear it sometimes while we were prepping for our show. I know it's a podcast, too. And then it became a TV show. Uh, and yeah. we'll, it will continue to be a TV show. It's, it's going to start back here in a couple weeks, I believe. What was your favorite part of the first run of the TV show this fall, talking to all the coaches and just having fun like you guys do? Uh, it was, too. I mean, I, I was half joking about Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC. <laughs> I, I was talking to him right when we came on the air. And we took Commissioner Sankey to a dirt track to the dirt track in Charlotte Motor Speedway. That was a pretty good day. But the best was our Thanksgiving special when Marty dressed up like a turkey and I dressed up like a pilgrim. And we had a buffet, a Thanksgiving buffet on the set. And unbeknownst to us, uh, Paul Feinbaum, who, who eats, I mean, all he does is eat protein shakes. He piled up so much food on one plate, like behind us on live television, and we had no idea. And so when we got when we got photo bombed on TV by Paul while we were wearing a pilgrim and a and a turkey suit, that was uh, that was either the high point or the low point for the SEC Network in 2018. When you can't Maybe both at the same time, yeah. When you can't tell which one it is, then it's probably good TV. You guys also had an excellent uh, balloon parade during your Thanksgiving special. I saw That's that right. as well. Yeah, we so. did the whole thing. We yeah we we um it was it was we. we no exaggeration. Every time we would walk off the set this year, we would look at each other and go, I cannot believe they let us do that today on television. But they did. Yep. And, yeah, radio show uh, comes back to ESPN Radio next Saturday morning. So uh, hopefully you guys can listen while you're getting ready for your show. There we go. Excellent. He is Ryan McGee. He's out at the National Championship game. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, read his book with Dale Earnhardt, Racing to the Finish, My Story, and just check out all his work. He's a great dude. He's one of the most well-liked guys in the media. And keep it up on Marty McGee. I can only hope that they will be forward-thinking with the ACC network and have similar-type programming with people having fun uh, with, with the league uh, like you guys do with the SEC. So let's hope yeah, that they're we, working. We'll see, we'll see if we can get Swapper. We can take Swapper to a World of Outlaws race at a dirt track. If we can pull that off, then we will go on 
Hey, he's Redneck a on the ACC network as well. He's got uh, he's got some North Carolina in him. I'm, I imagine he's seen a dirt track or two. I suspect he probably has. Yeah, we Greg Sankey ate his first corn dog on our show, so <laughs> we'll find something that Swapper's never some sort of pressed meat that Swapper's never had. There we go. Uh, Ryan McGee, thanks so much, man. We'll talk to you in the future. Anytime, boys. Appreciate it. See you.